Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And do we have a live audience here today? And we also aim to have a bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? The poverty cycle is a situation where poverty once started is likely to continue unless there is outside intervention. Today we meet two very different people with very different backgrounds who have both experienced poverty in Uganda and who both have a common determination to break the poverty cycle there. My first guest is Ray Turns, a barrister based in Melbourne. Ray studied arts law at Monash University and has practiced law for some 10 years with Spark Helmore and Telstra. And he joins me now. Please welcome Ray Turns. And my second guest is Reverend Justus Miwanda. Justus is the Director of International Needs Uganda. He's an international speaker and ordained Anglican minister who works with the poor in central Uganda. Please welcome Justus Miwanda. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Ray, you work as a barrister in Melbourne. On last summer, you went on a trip to Uganda. Why was that? So my wife and I travelled to Tanzania and Uganda over Christmas and January uh, last year and this year. It started off as a trip through international needs. They were running a trip in October and we are involved with them and we were interested in going. Uh, Unfortunately, that fell through and October didn't work for us anyway. So we thought we'd uh, take a holiday. So it was mainly a holiday. uh, But we also wanted to uh, visit the child that we sponsor in Uganda Mm -hmm. and see some of the work that international needs do. Yeah, so tell me, you sponsor a child. What does that mean? Yeah, so we um, provide a certain amount of money. I think it's $42 a month, which covers her uh, school costs, some medical costs, some school books, uh, and some other um, bits and pieces. Um, And so my wife had been sponsoring her for a number of years, uh, and then I joined in that when we got married. (laughs) (laughs) Joined in the fun, yeah. Uh, And she's uh, a 15-year-old young lady who lives uh, in central Uganda, um, on a, in a fishing village, actually, on the, the shores of Lake Victoria. Uh, and we had the privilege of meeting her and her family mm. uh, and spending some time with them. So how was that? Well, it was... Uh, she was very shy, as yeah. probably... As always. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is to be expected, given these strange people from another country who are paying for my school fees have now shown up on my doorstep. But it was, it was great. We were really encouraged by it because we saw that the money that we're putting into her schooling and her family through her uh, is being well used. Mm-hmm. We saw that her family are living in very, very basic circumstances. By Australian standards, you'd call them extremely poor. Yeah. Um, and so what do you mean? What did you see? We got to go to their house. That's where mum has raised seven children. Um, so our sponsored child is, is one of seven, um, and Dad's not on the scene and hasn't been for a, a long time. Um, and the, the house is uh, small enough that you could probably... We have a double garage at home. You could probably fit their house inside our double garage. Um, but it's not just the size of the house. The, the house is very basic. Um, their way of life is very basic. Uh, and talking to um, our sponsored child's mother through an interpreter, we found out that they don't have enough money for the younger... Um, so our sponsored child has a younger sister uh, and they don't have enough money for her to go to a good school, so she's going to a very basic school um, and not getting the quality education that the child that we sponsor is, is getting. So, yeah, we saw that our money is being used well. It's, it's, um, it was encouraging in that respect and it's making a difference. 
So, Justice, do you encourage people like Ray to come and visit Uganda and see the impact of the money they spend? Yes. Actually, one time I was talking to somebody here, and he told me it costs about about $3,000 to get a ticket to Uganda. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me, should I give this to you, or should I pay for a ticket to Uganda? Mm. And I said, I want you to come. Why is that? Because if people have come to us, they have seen what is there and what is taking place, they can easily give the 3000 I would encourage as many people as possible to get time to come to Uganda, see the poverty that we are talking about. Mm. Because when I talk about it here, possibly even Ray, we can paint a, a rough picture, yeah. but it cannot be accurate. But if you have been there, you really understand. Mm. Is that your experience, Ray? Yeah, absolutely. It is difficult to describe Mm. how basic it is over there. So people are living in really basic circumstances Mm. on very small plots of land, trying to more or less scratch a living by subsistence farming uh, in the main. Mm. Uh, So being there and experiencing poverty has led to a more lasting transformation, perhaps, in in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's... It's definitely meant that we're very committed to the, the project and the work of international needs in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got that tie, uh, absolutely. Now, poverty is certainly not a laughing matter, and we don't want to trivialise it in any way. But we do try to have a bit of fun on Logos Live. And today we're talking with Ray Turns and Justice Mwanda about breaking the cycle of poverty in Uganda. And today's quiz is about escaping poverty. Today we're trying something a little different. Our first question is a who am I competition. So, Justice and Ray, you have to guess the person that I'll share who grew up in extreme poverty yet escaped. And the first person to guess wins correctly, gets the point. I was born on January 29th, 1954, to an unwed mother, sent to live with my grandmother whilst my mother looked for work. I was then sent back to live with my mother in extreme poverty, commission housing, and had no budget for clothes. I often had to wear potato sacks and had the nickname Sack Girl. I was sent to live with my father, who was quite strict. My life took a turn when my education was taken seriously. At 17, I won Miss Black Tennessee Beauty Pageant and won a full scholarship to University of Tennessee to study speech and communication. (laughs) Oprah Winfrey, correct. You have, yes, it is Oprah Oprah Winfrey, correct. Ray gets the point. Yes, she went on to sign up, as she went on to become the highest-paid performer on television. A woman who's gone from extreme poverty to being the richest African American of the 20th century. Uh, yes, Oprah Winfrey. Congratulations, Ray. Yes, well, Justice, this is your chance to catch I up. I don't think so. Yeah, you, can, you, you can catch I'll up. I'll try. You can try. You can try. So, on the online debating website debate.org, what percentage of people believe that poor people were responsible for their own poverty? Was it 0%? No one thinks the poor were responsible for their plight. B, 20%, a minority. C, 45%, almost half. Or D, 95%, almost everyone thinks the poor are responsible for their situation. I can say 45. You say 45, Ray? What are you going to say? Uh, my gut tells me more like 95%. Okay, well, justice is right. So, well, congratulations. So, that means, which means tonight, both of you... Pass. Congratulations. Right good. Good. So a big round good. of applause to our, <laughs> our guests. Now, there is a quote attributed to Bill Gates. If you are born poor, it is not your fault. But if you die poor, it is your fault. So, Justice, 
Is the poverty in Uganda simply the fault of the poor people? No, but to some extent, yes. Uganda is a relatively very fertile land. We even have two planting seasons. Mm -hmm. So we have two crops a year. Mm -hmm. So that where people have land and they can cultivate it, they really don't need to be poor. Mm. But also the other hand to the no is that there are some people who don't have these facilities. They don't have the land to till for food. Or it is all gone to the rich. Actually, it's surprising that in Africa, they are rich people. But the margin between the rich and the poor is very wide. So that there are some cases and scenarios where the poor people are marginalized by the rich, so they don't have access to the resources. In that case, they are not the ones to blame. Mm. So I think we can argue over this question that there are cases where, yes, we are responsible, but there are also cases where other people or the institutions like government are responsible for the poverty. Mm. Is that what this is known as the poverty cycle? Yes. That you can't actually break out of Sure, it sure. It's always complete. The circuit is always complete. And the good news is that it is breakable. Mm. Well, Oprah Winfrey sure. story in sure. some ways is that... We can. And even in, in my village where I work, where I stay, I have seen this happen. That there are children who have been born into poor families, but they, are, they have made it, and they have even changed the, the circumstances for their families, not only for themselves, but also for their families and in the communities around them. It is possible to cut and break the cycle. Mm. Well, in Oprah Winfrey's case, as we were talking before, she was able to escape her uh, extreme poverty and potato sacks through the education mm provided by her father. So, Justice, is this why you're so keen to educate children? Yes. Or girls in particular? Sure. Because um, the former president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, was asked, what needs to be done to change the face of Africa? And he gave a very smart answer. Education is the only way to change the face of Africa. Because when you educate a boy or a girl, then you are on the route to breaking the cycle. One, education is not only for academics and on, on to get a job, but you'll get learn basic life skills, like I need to boil drinking water. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in Africa, you have to boil all drinking water. Mm-hmm. And when this boy or girl hears this, she takes it to the illiterate grandmother. I said, Grandma, we need to boil water. That is the starting point of transformation and changing or breaking the cycle. But secondly, this girl, if she gets education, she's empowered so that in the future she will have a job, so that she's not manipulated by men with money and then infect her with AIDS or get her pregnant so early and fall out of school. So that's number two. Number three, education, okay, prepares them for the future. Mm, mm. So break the cycle, help in the fight against diseases. I think that's my third point. Mm. Like, if we don't educate girls, we are going to lose terribly 
in the fight against AIDS. Mm, mm. Because these girls are all, they didn't work, they don't have any income, and this man has the money. He would tell her, look, I, I have the money, come with me. And then the, the next is a sad story. Mm. So education is very important in breaking the cycle. The question has just come through, which I'll feed in, is, is education the whole solution? No. I think it's a consortium of other things. Education, as well as income, as well as providing health facilities. We need health facilities placed in the villages. It's unfortunate that there are people, mothers, who have to walk like 20 kilometers to the next health facility. Mm. That's not empowerment. And that added, if you have health facilities, you have education, you have uh, income, I think put together, you are going to produce and break the cycle. It's a a number of factors. Sure, a number of factors. Now, Justice, your own life story gives credibility and relevance to the poor of Uganda. In some ways, your story echoes that of Oprah Winfrey's youth. Can you tell us about the circumstances of your birth? Yeah, my mother was only 16 when I was born. And because her parents were very close about what had happened, they had put money in her and they lost it, So they gave her two choices, that we either send you back to school or look after you and your child, but we cannot do both. So because of the importance of education, what this girl was aware of, she chose to go back to school. So then they told her, then you have to get rid of that boy. So this girl, one afternoon, got a piece of cloth and wrapped me in. I was three months at that time. She got a small cup, plastic. It was green. My grandmother kept it for me, and I saw it when I grew up. So, and she walked out of the house. Fortunately, this girl knew the parents of her boyfriend. So she went to them and introduced herself that this baby belongs to one of your sons. And my grandfather had eight sons, so it was not a small family. So my grandfather was helpless in that case, so he told her, you stay here in the living room, I will go in the garden and get my wife. So he went, came back with his wife to receive their first grandchild, only to find the living room, the child, and not the girl. She disappeared. I met my mother the first time. I was seven years. It wasn't any meaningful to me. She was a stranger like anybody. I met her after that four times or three times. The fifth time I met my mother, she was in a coffin, dead. And that was hard. And I give a lot of credit and I refer my grandmother because I always say, that was my mother. That was my future. She made it sure. I'm sure she was, in a way, supporting her son because my father was in college training. So she didn't know what she was doing possibly. She didn't know that she was looking after an Anglican priest. Mm. But she did. (laughs) And because she did so, I can be here to talk to you. Mm. If she hadn't done that, it would be a totally different story. Mm. And when I was five, my father got married and then 
I went and lived with him. He finished as a teacher, so he put me in school. And I got a fairly average education. And I trained as a teacher, and later I did other things. So when I was 18, in my class, I saw five boys who had the same story as mine, and I took them on. What do you mean you took them on? I, I took them in my house mm-hmm. and paid for their education. At the moment, they are all teachers. Actually, one of them is the principal of the international school in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud of them. I, I feel so contented in my life that I did something for these five boys. I, I took six, but one of them passed on. He had leukemia and I couldn't save him and he died. So what I went through helped me to put into perspective other children. So that's why I took these, these boys and that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. It's a, Welcome. It's a Welcome. very um, moving story in yeah. many ways and mm. very different to, I think, the experience that we face sure. in Australia. Mm. Uh, now, as part of Logos Live, we reflect on the scriptures, the Logos. And we're going to examine um, some f- wisdom found in a potentially surprising source, which is the Bible. But before we do that, we're interested to hear about why you believe the scriptures are worth following. So maybe, Justice, you said that you're a reverend now, an Anglican priest. <laughs> yes. What convinced you to become a Christian believer? First of all, it was through a school assembly. The people, I attended a Christian school, so people came to my school and shared on an assembly on one Friday evening, and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of it, I was convicted. I was 14 years at that time. Mm -hmm. But I was touched. I knew that in my life there were issues that I had to work through with God. So I gave my life Mm -hmm. to Jesus Christ. And from that time... Jesus started to speak into my life to touch onto issues in my life. Number one, he showed me the books that I had stolen from the school. Yes, because my father was the principal of the school. And that was not really very funny. And I said, yes, last night I got saved and God convicted me with these books and I'm returning them. The second thing, from that turning point, it helped me to accept and forgive my mother. And that was, to me, very important. Mm. I didn't have any bitterness about what she did. But also, number three, it helped me to work with my stepmother. Because of Jesus in me, I could work through those issues. Mm. Wow, thank you. Well, obviously, it was a transforming a big one. experience, a and big it changed one. your a life big in, one. in many ways. Yeah. Um, now, as part of Logos Live, as I said, we reflect on the scriptures, the Logos. And the part of the Bible we're, we're reflecting on today comes from the Old Testament book of Micah. Micah was written in the 8th century BC to the nation of Israel who had disobeyed God, and God was threatening judgment. Now, in light of the situation of the people of God, in chapter 6, Micah writes about the response that God desires. He doesn't want ritualistic and legalistic sacrifices. Instead, he wants, in verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mm. Now, Ray, as a barrister, one who's involved in the justice profession, Mm. how do you react to the exhortation, act justly? Did you feel a sense of injustice in visiting Uganda? 
Yes, I did. And I, I think the, the sense of injustice that I felt was related to um, not accident of birth, but by the mere fact of my birth in Melbourne, I was born into relative privilege and luxury. And by the mere fact of these people's birth into rural Uganda or even Kampala, they were born into poverty. Uh, and I, I, th I think there's an injustice in the glaring disparity. So the, um, the comparatively lavish lifestyle that we enjoy in Melbourne compared to the situation in Uganda. I, I actually see that as an injustice. Mm -hmm. So how do you react then to the exhortation here, act justly? Well, I, I see it as quite a broad exhortation. So I think it applies to... Uh, many areas of life, so uh, treating other people fairly, using the way I use my money, the way I use my time. I, I would uh, like to think that I act justly in all of those. I, I know that I, I don't from time to time, but mm -hmm. I at least aspire to. Um, but part of treating people fairly is seeing that our neighbours in, in Uganda um, are suffering from the effects of poverty, and it's within our power um, first of all, we know about it, but second of all, it's within our power to do something about it, thanks to international organisations um, mm. like World Vision and international needs and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah. Now, Justice, your name is almost almost <laughs> Justice. It's near. Near, that's right, not quite the same. But do you feel a sense of injustice within the poverty cycle? Yeah, I think the, the, the vast... What the injustice that was being talked about in the verse was also to do with the the way the rich people of that time treated the poor. Mm. Some of this we also see in my country, that like the the rich ones are even uh, manipulating the systems at the expense of the poor people. Mm. So it's it's time now <laughs> for us to do something. Yes, if we can. So how does this verse drive the organisation you work for, Justice, the, uh, in international needs? Yes, first of all, it's uh, act justly and love mercy and also follow God humbly. Mm -hmm. I think if you start from the other, following God humbly is listening to God and also uh, be obedient when he speaks. Mm -hmm. Like when he tells us to do something or to act, Let's do it. If he challenges us to be just, let's do it. But of course you can do it in a, a police way. Stand there, call them. But I think as an organization, we have to act with mass, mm. with compassion, as we handle the issues in the areas that mm. we work. So this motivates the work that you do and how you work. Ray, what motivates you? I think, um, I think a few things. So we've talked about what I see as an injustice and wanting to correct that. Uh, I think lying behind that motivation is, uh, as a follower of Jesus, uh, I can't help but take uh, Jesus' example seriously and his teaching seriously. Uh, so Jesus uh, spent a lot of time with people that were uh, disadvantaged and poor in his time. Uh, and he also had some pretty stern things to say about rich people that ignored um, poor people. So I'm thinking of Luke 16 when Jesus talked about a rich man uh, and dying and uh, a Lazarus. poor fellow named Lazarus who was sitting at his gate in need. Um, so if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then you've got to take Jesus Serious. um, seriously, uh, his example and his teaching. So uh, I, I try and do that. Um, and that's a, a pretty strong motivation. Um, and that's kind of a, a 
part of. It's related to the, the justice that we were talking about. Now, some critics would object to the Christian motivation to help overcome poverty and actually say that these works are selfish. The motive for good deeds isn't true empathy for suffering, but a guarantee of a place in heaven. How do you respond to this? Is that your motivation? Oh, I think it stems from a pretty poor understanding of Christianity. So God and Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be reconciled to God. And so when we help the poor, when we do what you might call good deeds, it's in response to what God has done for us. It's not in order to earn favour with God because we've been given favour and then that transforms us so that we want to then show grace and favour to other people. To use the words of the Bible, I think it's um, 1 John where uh, it's written, uh, we love because he first loved us. So it's, it's a response action. It's not in order to carry favour with God. What difference has Jesus made in breaking the cycle of poverty in Uganda? Well, he's uh, inspired an organisation called International Needs Uganda, um, which uh, Justice will know far better than I do how many people they help. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, they have a substantial presence in central Uganda and help countless people uh, So there's an inspiration from uh, Christianity. Uh, And certainly uh, my wife and I wanted to travel to Uganda because we sponsor a child and we have an association with international needs. And that stems from uh, the the grace and favour that I was talking about that we've been shown by God and that we want to then respond and show that to others. So, um, yeah. How's your trip changed you? I think... um, If I was to be really honest, uh, at times I I forget about it uh, and sadly I just get stuck in the routine. But I remember, particularly when I came back home um, early on in February after I just got back, I remember thinking how incredibly privileged uh, I I am and we are in Australia. Uh, So I I need to be reminded of that. Um, So the the trip has changed in that I ought to to be better than I am. I ought to remember the, the privilege that I enjoy. Um, whether I do so remains to be seen. <laughs> so, Justice, final comments. What difference has Jesus made in breaking the cycle of poverty in Uganda? I think, first of all, he has put people in place, people that you would call like angels in different positions, in different countries, even actually in Australia, that he has placed people, first of all, they are aware and they are ready to move. He has provided the, the condition a favorable condition for Christians and other people to do something. I, I, I feel that that is him mm-hmm. doing it. And also he has provided people with resources which they can give to, to such organizations like mine, International Needs Uganda. So you give money, you give resources, you give your time in turn to respond to those uh, issues like poverty and others. Let me leave you with the Logos for the day from Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live. Please thank our guests today, Ray Turns and Justice Mwanda. Mm-hmm.